BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, one of my favorite musicians of all time, arguably one of the greatest hardcore guitarists ever, Aaron Melnick from The Inmates, from Integrity, from Die Hard. We could, we'll talk about more on that in a second. But first, if you'd like to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, and he will get the message to me. You can also find me on Twitter or Instagram at left for damien If you want, oh, there's a YouTube page, a TikTok page. An Instagram page and a Facebook page, all for Turned Out of Punk. All those can be found at Turned Out of Punk on those platforms. If you want to support the show, tell all your friends about it. Let them all know that you enjoy this podcast over here. I play in a band. We are called Fucked Up. You can find out more information at fuckedup.cc. We're going to be going on tour with the mighty Super Chunk across the West Coast or up the West Coast of the United States and Canada. In a couple weeks, more dates are over there, and uh, that is that. On to today's show. I got my buddy and sometimes co-host with me right here, Camden. Cam, how's it going, bud? Fine. You excited for this episode? No. No? Well, you're a guitar player, right? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Here's why I like Aaron Melnick's guitar playing. He has a completely unique approach to the way he uh, plays that instrument. Like, it, it's... It's not like he's trying to be any other guitar player. Like he's, I don't, We talk about more on the episode. You can hear it when you listen to the podcast. You're going to listen, right? No? Okay. Well, when you hear the podcast, listening in your headphones right now, you will hear me and Aaron talk about it in a second. Aaron Melnick, of course, is a guitar player from Integrity and the Inmates and Die Hard and all sorts of things. But most recently, he has put out a phenomenal I guess solo record, for lack of a better term, but a project called New Clay, which is a concept record. There's going to be a book coming out at some point. And I didn't hear this thing until close to the end of the year last year, but this is my favorite record 
from last year. I love this thing so much. You can check this record out now. It is available from the good people at Rebirth Records. There is a Rebirth Big Cartel store. There's also a newclay.bandcamp.com, and that's newclay, N-U-C-L-A-E. And uh, a huge thank you to Bob Wilson from Rebirth Records for uh, setting this thing up because that's uh, a dream come true. This thing would have been longer. I would have loved to have been longer, but Aaron got home from work just before my kids got home from school, so it's, it's shorter than it should have been. But believe me, there's good stuff in here. Check out New Clay's Bring Out the Beast. Check out Integrity. If you've never listened to those Integrity records with Aaron on them, go back and check out those things. Also, there's a new Integrity thing, too, covers record that's also worth checking out as well. And Die Hard and The Inmates, all that Cleveland stuff. It's gold. It's gold, I tell you. All right, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Should I, ra- should I keep talking, Cam? No. Okay. I'm not going to ramble on it anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy... Aaron Melnick on Turned Out a Punk. Of punk. A punk. Still still think it should be of. It's of. Oh, it's ah. What they know. Okay, stop. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, I appreciate being here, man. Thank you for having me. Well, as I was, uh, you know, we we're just talking off air, and I, I think I briefly mentioned, but I, I don't know if I expressed it, but like, I think your new record is unbelievable, and it's it's Nucleo, right? New project, it's Nuclei, it's called Nuclei. Sorry. Nuclei. Okay. Yeah. And it no is uh, a fantastic record, and it really hit me then listening to it that you're almost like, like a great auteur guitar player, where you have this way of playing and this sound that's so uniquely you and just hearing it it just comes across and it's just uh and no one else can play like you and as soon as you you hear it you know it's you playing it it's just uh it's a fantastic album i appreciate it because i i really i work so hard i mean it's pretty much was like five years in the making and uh just kept putting little snippets together kept doing you know different songs trying them one way and just you know, it was, it was just, it was a lot of work and I just wanted to be as good as I could make it. I won't say it's perfect, but, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I got, I got to work with, uh, my friend Rob Orr from Unreal City and my brother. So that was good. And, uh, you know, my brother always can kind of figure out what I'm, what I'm thinking and, and he can just kind of play exactly what he needs to play. And Rob is actually the exact same way. So. Well, it's yeah. kind of awesome. Cause like, I think you can kind of like track your career through all your different projects and you know, obviously your brother and Rob's involvement too. And in, in more recent years too, where they've got like, I don't know, it's just such a, a, a cool sound that you've developed, especially with your brother, where you guys kind of like work together so well and have found like very early on, you found this, but like it has continued to kind of evolve this uh, interplay with your different styles. Yeah. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that actually. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it's just, it's strange because we, you know, I think just growing up together, our parents made us play uh, different instruments when we were kids. And like, at the time I was like, oh my God, I got to play this violin. And and it was, you know, and he played cello. So it's kind of interesting that I ended up playing guitar and he played bass, but you know, we just kind of, we've been able to meld that together and kind of develop things together that way. So. 
Well, yeah, it's really interesting with the violin and the cello because I imagine, you know, I have no musical ability in my my brother plays, but no, <laughs> what I do is a very unique lead singer only kind of thing. But, yeah. but I, I imagine the cello and the violin have a very similar interplay as guitar and bass do in, in rock and roll, where there's sort of this sort of need to be present and, and but lay back for the bass sounds and, and be upfront and, and kind of vibrant and especially with violin and your guitar playing and just kind of like virtuosic. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was not virtuosic at the guitar, at the violin though. I was like, like, <laughs> I remember I quit as soon as I could, and then you know, I, I, my parents had an old acoustic, and it was like a real crappy acoustic. Like, it was just like it, and uh, but I picked it up, and I just like I didn't know anything, but I know that I knew that I liked some like kind of like early punk and hardcore stuff that I'd heard on the radio and stuff. Because uh, in Cleveland we have we have really good radio that will play like punk and hardcore um, college radio. And and then I would just like put my finger up and down the guitar. And I was, and we, that was, we started doing bands when I was like 13 or maybe even 12. And, uh, and I would make my brother sing my lyrics and he would like, he would do it even though he'd be like, he wasn't as into it, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it was, but that was our band and my friend played chopsticks on a box. So I, I was trying to make, I was trying to make music as early as that. So. <laughs> well, uh, I guess that leads me to kind of the question, which is, Aaron, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across it? Was it through the radio like that? Well, it's it's kind of it it kind of depends what you define as punk because uh, in '82 and '83, I my my dad moved us to England for a year, so my first i i got I got to see their their what they were into, and they had Top of the Pops, and even though yeah. that's like a pop show. At the time, you know, like, I guess, you know, uh, Bauhaus, I remember She's in Parties was real big. And uh, I think Susie was on there. It's kind of hard to remember that far back now. But, uh, but I mean, so I, I got kind of introduced to some form of punk, at, you know, at, at that time. And then, but then when, I, when we moved back to America, you know, I just would listen to the radio. And uh, it was actually, there's a station... WRUW, which is associated with Case Western, and then WCSB, which is Cleveland State University, and they have they both have great radio shows. This and back then they had John Carroll, which is a Christian uh, university. They actually had like a lot of punk. They had a show called Boots Upside Your Head, which they like play suicidal tendencies and stuff like that. <laughs> but I mean, I used to just sit there with like the cassette and my cassette there, and then record and and uh, play and then had it on pause. And I hear the first note of something, I hit record. And then I'd listen for 20 seconds. I'd be like, uh, that one's not so good. And I'd just stop and rewind again. Or sometimes like, that song's amazing. So I guess I, I think the first, like, I don't even know if you would call this hardcore or punk, but the first song I heard was Peace Corps, uh, Quincy oh, Clement. You know oh, that? that's, that's hardcore to me or punk too. Yeah. I love, that's a killer track. Yeah. And so I heard that and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And like, to me, like the guitar solo sounded like, the, I was like, that's, that guitar is just amazing. Oh my God. They're like, you know, they're like, Wah. they're just playing like one of the solos, you know, but, but at the time, like it blew my mind. And, uh, and then I just kind of, you know, I just tried to pick everyone's brain. I'd start going to the local record stores and uh, sometimes you'd buy something that was good, you know, and you just try to, connect the dots and see what you could find out. And I had a hunger for it to find out like as much as I could about 
and you know it could be punk hardcore i kind of gravitate towards metal as well so and other kinds of music too but especially at that time period especially those well i think it's interesting with especially peace corpse and that sort of like there are bands like Dicroitzen. I put Peace Corpse in there. There are these bands that have this sort of interesting guitar thing. And you, you like Septic Death's another one, of course, where you've yeah. got like these bands that have this sort of, uh, yeah, just like heavy kind of raging, like wild guitar that it's 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 almost metal without being metal. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you there. Uh, Peace Corpse, yeah, almost that sound like, da na 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 that's like, that's almost like it's metal and it's like proto metal or it's like primitive metal or something, you know? Very. Yeah, exactly. And that's like the kind of my, that's the kind of metal I like, you know? And I find that's like the yeah. Cleveland nunslaughter kind of metal is, is primitive yeah. metal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I gravitate towards uh, kind of like the caveman type, you know, <laughs> the, those simple riffs. And like, it's, there's something genius about like the simple riff that's just so catchy. Mm -hmm. When you try to overcomplicate things, a lot of times, I mean, there's bands that can do that and they do it, they do it well. And there's great bands that can do that. But for me and like what I've always tried to play, I've just tried, I've tried to keep it simple, you know? And I think when I keep it simple, I, I do the best at getting across the feelings that I have, you know, cause I think music is really, Yes, it's there's there's the sonic part that you hear, but there's also so much feeling in music, and that's that's really important to me. Well, and I think that's what I've loved about that kind of non-commercial record scene. Like we're jumping way into the future with this stuff, yeah. but but I think it was like that kind of like like caveman punk kind of vibe to it, like especially the inmate stuff. And I guess it goes back to you know, the nineties with those, some of those bands, especially the inmates first singles. Yeah. Um, and, but there was like sort of this, uh, simplicity to it, but that what's make, that's what makes it brilliant is that like knowing when to keep it simple and when to have the space in there and when to, there's a genius to the simplicity. Yeah. I feel that that's true for hardcore in general. I feel that, you know, especially hardcore and, and punk as well. It's, uh, it's almost always the simple stuff that is, you know that resonates with me and i think it it resonates with most people as well the simplest hardcore is you know that's usually stuff that sticks in your head you know like misfits for instance that's it's genius in the simplicity you know or yeah. reagan youth or something it's like two two riff punk basically you know or hardcore and i have a hard time with the definitions a little bit because i think there's a lot of overlap in all the styles with metal hardcore and punk and you see that in a lot of bands now they just They'll they'll play mixtures of it, and that's awesome. I think that's amazing. Yeah, it really it really has become a lot more integrated sound wise uh, with kids because I think you don't have to choose in the same way. Like before, it was hard to know about all this stuff because you had to go and buy these records and you had to dress a certain way, and there were a lot yeah. of rules back then. But now it doesn't seem like they apply in the same way. No. Uh, I remember if you went to a metal show, I remember we went, we went and saw Slayer and it was all, we all had short hair and, uh, we were hardcore kids, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, it was like the first time Slayer had assigned seats. It, I think it was the South of Heaven tour. It was, I don't remember exactly which tour it was, but, uh, and, and there was these metal guys in our seats and we were like, Hey, these are our seats. And they were like, 
they're like, well, we're sitting here now, like, you know, fuck you, short hairs guy, you know, like, yeah, mentality. And like, it, yeah. yeah, and like, and then uh, we told the, uh, we told like one of the bouncers and he didn't care. And so he's like, just sit there together or something. And I was like, oh, okay. And then we were just like, okay, well, we can't have this. We're like, you guys got to go. And then, so there was like, you know, there was kind of a, a practice. Actually, Paul was with me. So <laughs> uh, Paul from non-commercial and inmates and stuff. So, and, uh, you know, so we got them out of there. But uh, but it, at the time, you know, we were worried because there had been, we'd been to other metal shows and I'm, and uh, the metalheads would, they did not like short-haired people back then, which is crazy because once Kerry King shaved his head, then all of a sudden metalheads were like, well, short hair is great. We don't care. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it so. was, yeah, there was, and even into like, it's, it's so fascinating now in, in sort of like a post-metalcore kind of world, but like even when there were those early kind of package bills where you'd have hardcore bands on tour with metal bands, there'd always be fights. Like, yeah, just, for sure. Just constantly yeah. skirmishes. Yeah. I remember early integrity shows there, it was kind of interesting because there would be like that. There, there was that kind of, um, you know, friction between those because, because integrity tended to attract a lot of different, you know, you get like skinheads, you get, you would get uh, metal heads, you would get hardcore kids, straight edge kids, you would get everybody and then just put them into like, you know, there'd be like, you know, a few hundred people at later shows and put them all together and play kind of, you know, aggressive music. And there would always be some sort of trouble (laughs) back then, usually in the pit, which was a little bit more healthy, you know, but Cleveland at any era, when you look at all these bands that were kind of coexisting, you know, maybe not peacefully at times, but like at least coexisting spatially and sonically, there's just so much, different approaches to punk and like i'm like you like i find the definitions hard at times because or the defining of these play things hard sometimes because it's all punk to me at the end of the day and 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 like that's what i and when i think you guys in cleveland like broadly speaking like that's what it embodies And, and cleveland's kind of the birthplace of punk after all right like going back to the electric eels and going back to rocks and the tombs and everything right like it starts in cleveland it's one of one of them. Yeah, I mean, those bands are amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think Electric Eels are pretty, people don't know about that as much. And I can see how they might be, you know, the voice maybe can be kind of abrasive to some people. I I love it personally. Oh, but, same. Well, like, but, you're, and, oh, like you're talking about that. And scene, then that oh, go on, sorry. Let me cut off. I was just going to say, like, yeah, I'm rocking from the tombs. That, that band is, that band is, yeah, that's, some of those songs are so, just I don't you know I can't I wish I could write songs like that you know <laughs> well that's the thing you listen to that rock from the tombs record and you're like what is it this band was like from New York you know at this time yeah. and was able to get a record out it's like the best Dead Boy songs the best Perubu songs yeah the best Peter Lopner songs and they're all like in one band yeah that's so crazy it's that's so true crazy. And it's because it, I, I found, you know, when I was a kid, like 13 or 14, I found uh, Dead Boys, Night of Living Dead Boys. It was like three bucks at this place, Wax Stacks, which was an awesome record store that's now got. And uh, and uh, I love I grew up with the that Night of Living Dead Boys. That was like my favorite Dead Boys, actually. To me, that was like because it's so raw, even though it sounds kind of shitty, but it's like, you know, it's so it's just a great record. Oh, and yeah. then later on, I, got, I discovered that Rock from the Tomb stuff. And I was just like. 
this is better than Dead Boys. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you could get better than that. So. Yeah, it's it's wild to think about how fully formed the stuff in Cleveland was that early. Like they're just and all of Ohio too, Devo too. You know, there's just like something in the Midwest at that time um, that just. It, like an energy that like you know it's in new yeah. york too it's in it's in all over the world kind of popping up but it's just definitely in cleveland like it's really yeah. in cleveland i think i think a little bit of detroit also you know before that in you know you have the stooges and and like we were talking about negative approach mm. before and uh you know that stuff i think there's some sort of back and forth dialogue between detroit and cleveland and uh you know detroit has to me detroit is if there's there's so many good bands from detroit not just in like extreme more extreme kinds of music but also in terms of like motown and stuff like that i mean it's such a rich city in terms of music as well so the midwest i think is a good way to phrase it or frame it for sure yeah because i think the gizmos as well and doing what they were doing gulcher records and that kind of proto-punk yeah and it's i don't know it feels like it's it's kind of like when punk first arrives it's at least in America, you know, and I guess in Canada too, because in Hamilton, they're like simply saucers kind of going and they're all in communication with each other, but there's sort of this sort of post dream of the sixties, you know, cynicism, post Watergate cynicism, post Charles Manson thing yeah. where people are just fed up and, and there's a failed industrial kind of world around them. And it just feels ripe that it would be starting in kind of the Midwest and industrial centers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, and like Cleveland was, and Detroit, I know, and I'm sure probably in Canada, in the Midwest, around around the lakes and stuff like that, everything's like kind of almost rusting from the, they call it the rust belt, you know, it was like, it was falling apart from the inside almost. And like Cleveland, a lot of people, you know, there's flight from the cities and stuff like that. Um, and And then people were just, and Detroit, if you drove into Detroit in the, late 80s, early 90s, I mean, it was pretty, and Chicago too, you, you know, the, all those cities, they, they, were, they were getting pretty run down at that time. So now there's, I think there's kind of a renaissance and people are returning to cities more, it seems like. I don't know, but uh, at that time it was something, it was definitely different. Yeah, and like now it feels like it's almost like the, the nightmarish return to the cities where everything's too expensive and no one can afford to live in these cities anymore. Yeah. And it's, oh it's, my God. Yeah. <laughs> but more yeah. back to more pleasant things so where did you kind of go from hearing this punk stuff and getting into the stuff on on kind of the radio and being exposed to it like were were other kids around you getting into it too yeah yeah there was there was other kids um i started going to some uh hardcore shows uh there's this place called the variety theater where i think motorhead played so loud the ceiling eventually collapsed so they closed it i think they're trying to reopen it now but there was shows back then and that was that was a very interesting kind of a wake up call for me to see like this stuff in action and like see a real pit for the first time. And just uh, I think the first hardcore show I went to was uh, I would go to other shows like there was like there was also like an, a strong alternative scene in Cleveland. But uh, the first the first hardcore show I saw was like Government Issue and Toxic Reasons. And uh, that was pretty sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, and that was at the Variety Theater. And. And uh, later I met, there was a band Groin from Cleveland and I, I met some of those guys. They were a little older than me, but they were, 
they were they were a pretty great band actually you know just straight hardcore pretty much like you are you looking for something one second yeah oh shit <laughs> god's not american that's right yeah. that's, this is that's a, a fantastic crazy. tape yeah that is amazing i love that wow that's so funny you yeah my up. friend dana actually he, he played on that from later from keel so oh that's right <laughs> and also funny i met this summer i was in philadelphia with my son on on tour with the band and chris uh-huh from keel hall and the inmates was in a record yeah. store that i was in he's like hey i'm from the inmates and i was like oh my god and keel hall too and, and false <laughs> hope and all this shit that's awesome yeah 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 so it's it's pretty cr- actually the so the cleveland scene it was weird too because those were that first wave false hope was kind of on the cusp of like more like towards integrity mm-hmm. and but before that there was like the guns and uh the dark right? yeah the dark and there's so many other, and they were kind of like the old guard, Starvation Army, stuff like that. And uh, and they, I don't know if they, I mean, some of them liked us, but some of them, you know, they, it's, you know how the generational thing is it's kind of like, these guys, these new guys, they don't know what it's all about. You know, they probably thought that about us a little bit. But I grew up being a fan of that stuff. So I, I you know, I was, I tried to be cool with everybody. But uh, there was a little bit of that. But False Hope was on the cusp. So we would grow up and we saw, False Hope and Confront and Outface, they would always play shows. And we started our band. At first it was called Common Sense, then it became Die Hard, which eventually became Integrity. And uh, we would play this place. There was this place on the west side called Berea Rolling Ball, which was a huge skate park and like a huge warehouse. And uh, every, the sound was terrible there. It would be totally echoing and stuff like that. And, uh, but we would every, I, but you know, we brought some bands there like, uh, Tom from Confront, I think he was the promoter for he brought Underdog, he brought like Zero Tolerance. And and the and I think that they not that venue, but like some of the like I remember like uh who was it? It was like Project X and Gorilla Biscuits and a couple other bands. I forget the other bands now. There's a famous photo, band. right? From that show. It's like you and Dwight yeah. beside each other yeah. watching. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny photo. <laughs> Yeah, but that was, I mean, I was like, holy shit, like, you know, here's Project X. And, oh, and Life's Blood played there. So they were kind of like a little bit of the black sheep, I think. But I, and Life's Blood, they were like, they played that song, which I don't know, I don't know. but, uh, you know, Break Down the Walls to Get Inside. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> that's interesting. They played that song at that show. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was amazing. That was pretty cool. Yeah, they're they're yeah. I, they're super, Life, Life's Blood is one of my favorite bands in that era. But I, you're right, there's kind of like... A, a division in that scene it felt like certainly between yeah. them and some of the other bands there seems like there's always divisions between mm-hmm. scenes which is you know i was talking about the older generation and the younger generation which it's cool when there's people that try to step outside of that and don't you know you, you try it's because i mean we're, think about it, we're not there's not most people don't like punk and hardcore yeah. you know so if you find someone that likes punk and hardcore no matter what the era what the style is I try to find common ground with people because I think it's important to, you know, I think it's how many of the, you know, I've, I've thought about this more and more, the older I get, like we're, we should all be, if there's teams, we should all be on the same team. You know what I mean? We should all support each other mm-hmm. in that way, which is maybe when I was younger, I wasn't quite thinking like that or it's such a big picture, but now I see like, that's really important. I think now that I'm older, I realize how much of it is born out of insecurity and yeah find you know finding something that you love and being so like 
I need to hold on to this and no one can take what's this perfect thing that's mine. And I've, I finally yeah. found it, you know, and I feel, and yeah. And, that, and you really, cause you do see it happen in every scene and there's almost like this natural process that people have to go through. Yeah. People, people, uh, they, they almost take ownership of, uh, let's say you wrote a song or I wrote a song. They almost take ownership. And I do that with other kinds of music too. I, I, I take ownership of the song as well. I'm like, wow, that song means so much to me. Like, and then when I was younger, I, you know, if something maybe got more popular, I would be, I would maybe be like, oh, that's getting popular now. I don't, you know, but now I'm like, yeah, I can see why I got popular because it was great. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and band, it's good that, you know, when I think it's, it opens people's minds and it turns people on to new music that maybe they would have never heard if a band gets bigger or maybe they influence somebody else to make something interesting and different. So that's important to me. I think it's awesome that you're also were into that kind of like other side of Cleveland music because I love that. It's I guess St. Valentine's records to yeah yeah name on it. Like I love yeah. all those bands. I think uh, yeah, Death of Samantha and and uh, I, I loved. I saw Death of Samantha. That's before I saw Hardcore. I saw Death of Samantha, and I was like, I was a pretty big fan actually. So great band, awesome, yeah. fantastic band. Were that, you actually that guitar player Doug Gillard? Uh, he was in a different band called. Have you heard of Children's Crusade? great band oh fantastic uh, that's amazing that lurker on the threshold that there's so they had a comp that was one of the first uh kind of punkish because there's punk bands on there too but there's also whatever st valentine's record is i don't know i guess it's punk punk you know yeah, for it's, me it's punk it's yeah not like it's not like oi 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 or whatever but, whatever, no, but, whatever. but if you look at like the original wave of this stuff and you're like look at all the people that kind of were under that umbrella of like you're saying like Susie and the banshees to early cure to sex pistols yeah. to damn to jam to you know it was it was broad and i think anything that came out of that is, is part of it yeah i agree even if you just have a little bit of influence in that and you you know it's good to be able to draw on a, you know the bigger you that you can draw and the bigger pool you can draw on of stuff the more you can kind of make something maybe that is a little different and you know, and, and, but it still represents you, you know? So I think that's, that's important, I think, as well. Yeah, but I, uh, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, just, yeah, but going back to that, yeah, the St. Valentine's and then all the, all the English stuff like that. I mean, that's, you know, there's so much, there's, I, I, I could, I wish I could show you my record collection right now. <laughs> you know, there's, I have so much different stuff. You know, I like, I'm, there's, I just have a huge amount of stuff that I like. I like almost everything. I don't know. I've become more open as I've gotten older. So, I think with also that Cleveland stuff, like actually, if I showed you my record collection, I have a Cleveland section of my LPs uh -huh. and my seven inches just because I find like when you take Death of Samantha and and you take like Integrity and you take Confront, uh -huh. you take H100s and you really put yeah. all of it and then all that earlier stuff too. It's yeah. such an incredible music town, but there's a lineage to it, and everyone seems to yeah. like connect in some way to each other. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Actually, Integrity would play with H100s sometimes, and that would, that would be interesting because, like, the the typical Integrity fan probably didn't know how to take uh, the H100s. You know, they were pretty they were kind of confrontational in a different way. You know, so that was that was always pretty interesting. Is <laughs> Because they're so abrasive, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh God. But, yeah. yeah. There is. There, I did. I do think there is a lineage to it, and it's 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 interesting 
you know, as different as you would think uh, all these bands are, and you mentioned Devo before, you know, I know Devo is, that's, that's definitely something that in some ways has creeped into my music, definitely into like Ringworms music or someone like that. You know, just the, I mean, they were kind of, they were just out there. They were geniuses, but that's just, that's just like, but I mean, that's punk as well. It's cause yeah, cause punk is almost like, it's almost like, uh, it, it's almost like undefined in a way. If you're undefined, that's more punk than anything, I think. When you try to define something and try to make it, you know, like, oh, it can only fit into this, that's not very punk. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, like, to me, the greatest punk song, one of the greatest punk songs ever is that, uh, to bring it back to what you're saying about minimalism, is that David, Dave E from Electric Eels. So, it yeah, is- I mean, those guys definitely, they, then they have other songs that are just crazy that, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, that song about cancer and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, but it's cool when bands do that though, when they come. So like LA blues or something like that, that's like, you know, I mean, you know, that was before there's punk, but obviously, you know, Iggy gets, or the Stooges, I should say, get lumped into that. But I mean, LA blues, that's what, that's like, what is it? It's like an amorphous mess, but it works though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's, and it's, that's the thing is, I think with, with punk is it's that it's finding the beauty in the mess and, and that's and making the mess beautiful. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. Uh, go. Were you a fan of Guided by Voices at all? I, I, I was really curious about that. Speaking of St. Valentine's and Death and Samantha, it kind of connects in a weird way. Yeah, is Doug Gillard in Guided Doug by Gillard Voices? Doug Gillard was in, De- yeah, Guided by Voices for a while. I don't know it as well, but uh, it's something I probably should look at. I think I might have gone to a show and Children's Crusade maybe played. There, that makes I don't, sense. Well, I'm not, I can't remember because my memory is pretty shot from <laughs> over the years, but now, now my memory is better because <laughs> I'm sober, but <laughs> yeah. Well, if you, uh, if you do decide to get into guided by voices, there's a lot of records. They're really a band that I've found, it, you know, I've definitely liked some stuff by them, but they're oh. an impenetrably difficult band to kind of get a grip on everything. Cause there's hundreds of like maybe a thousand songs. I don't know. That's probably an oh, exaggeration, yeah. but a lot of shit. Like like box sets worth of material. It's is a, there a record that you would uh, steer someone to? They were just uh, getting into be a thousand. I think it's called. I feel like this is one of those bands that if you like, it's like the Grateful Dead. Like if people yeah. hear you misquoted or say the wrong thing, they get yeah. very upset. But Uh-oh. <laughs> they, they they can write songs. They have multiple different lineups over the years and stuff. But uh-huh. I think at one point, like I know John from Death of Samantha was in the band for a little uh, bit, and I think there were okay. I think that's right. Yeah, you know, several other dudes that kind of crossed over to it. Yeah, yeah. He's he was at he he wrote for the Cleveland Plain Dealer, and he would write he would he would write a lot of cool stuff. He would try to turn people on to different things. So. Well, I was going to ask, were, were there any people that crossed over between? Like you're saying, there was kind of standoffishness between the two scenes, but was there any bands that kind of crossed over, existed in both kind of worlds? Um, I don't know if any bands did, but there are, I mean, Chris Smith, who later joined Integrity, he was kind of in, he was in False Hope. He was kind of, and he, he wasn't in the, in the guns really, but he was kind of, you know, he played with the guys from the guns. So he kind of walked in a lot of worlds and he walks in a lot of worlds anyway. So, uh, you know, he, cause he's very, I don't know, he's very open-minded when it comes to music as well. So, 
and yeah. and also he he works at a record pressing plant, so he meets a lot of musicians, you know. So that I think he just knows a lot of people. But he'd be someone who walks in those boards. But I don't know if there's actually a band that kind of transcends that. At least not be. It's hard to say because you know, like when you're you start your first band, you kind of see everything before you with with kind of a, a real like a microscope. Mm. You know, what I mean, you're really looking at everything. But once you like kind of get a little bit older, you, it's harder to say what's exactly happening. I feel like because you're kind of doing stuff. Maybe maybe because I started doing stuff, so I I became more concerned with what I was doing. Not to say that I close myself off to other music, but you know, you kind of when you're you I, you really internalize what's going on in the scene before you get into it, but then like after you get into it, it might be a little bit harder, you know, to focus on everybody else. So because your own journey, after a while, you stop looking at it as other people's journeys and realize it's like your own thing. Yeah, it must have. It's I guess like integrity. It's like ten years, but what an incredible run for a hardcore band a diy hardcore band too at that point it's just uh yeah a lot of shit happening i imagine it was crazy (laughs) bet mgm has an unreal deal for sports fans in virginia turn five dollars into 150 dollars instantly when you place your first wager at bet mgm simply download the bet mgm app and sign up using code champion 150 then Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The early days were really crazy, so it was just... I mean, I just think about... It was chaotic. Like you were talking about a mess and like just <laughs> how things are messes. I mean, it, it wasn't just like, I mean, sometimes musically it would be a mess too, but usually we held it together, uh, you know, but it was just in terms of like where we would go. We went to, you know, the first, I remember the first time we went to Europe was like insane. We didn't have work permits. We got kicked out of England. You know, they... Uh, we had crazy roadies with us that were <laughs> they were pretty insane. And uh, were the European roadies or guys that you brought? No, they were, we brought a, a few people from America, and they just like. <laughs> and I don't think they. I mean, none of us were used to like ten percent beer, but in particular, a couple of them really <laughs> just acted like fools. So it was, a, but it was it was it added to the uh, mystique a little bit, I think. Yeah. Like, where is? And then when we went back to like, where is this person? This crazy person? They're like, oh yeah, you didn't come this time, but. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, the things things could be very messy, but it was it was cool though because you know you don't when you're young you're like striking that path and you don't realize like you know these are like the times that are you know not only did it shape us musically and stuff like that but it also you know you don't realize you know time is a crazy thing it, it starts accelerating as you get older and uh, you just don't realize like. You're, you might not ever be able to get that back, like that kind of, um, those experiences where you can just be like wild and 
and play music and just like be just be free in that way you know mm-hmm. responsibility starts getting hard when you get older especially if you have a family and stuff like that so. you know it definitely changes everything yeah with your with the time is something that appreciates so much at like every day it just feels like gosh and especially that moment in hardcore where it felt like it wasn't being watched by the mainstream in the way like it is now and there's no it it was completely an independent world yeah it seems it's pretty crazy now i see like a lot of hardcore bands are getting some serious notoriety which you know more power to them and actually it's it's strange because i there was the time i would say like like in the 2000s i kind of was like not as aware of hardcore and but now let i you know i pay attention to hardcore now and i think there's like a lot of good music coming out it's almost like maybe because it's been so long and or maybe it's just i was i was deaf to things or something but uh there's some really good stuff coming out now so yeah it feels like there's just a i guess it's maybe it's cyclical in in a way but like it does feel like this is definitely an upside right now with everything that's happening where like bands are extremely there's just so much stuff happening and it's it's fascinating to see it was fascinating to talk about like how metal and punk used to not mix and now you look at the success of power trip and bands like that and it's like wow yeah it is it's seamless for them you don't even have double bass but they're like (laughs) heavy as hell (laughs) but it's funny how much of an influence you guys are on all this metallic hardcore i guess and now it like you know once again it gets broken into subgenres, but just how many people try and do what you do on guitar and and try and approach it you know not not able to kind of sound what the sound like you but they are trying to do what you do and it is such an influence on this music after you guys you know like you're one of those bands where it's not the same sonically after integrity Yeah, I appreciate that. I I mean, I think though we were I feel like from my point of view, it, it felt like everything was heading that way kind of and and we just like kind of continued it, you know? It's because you know, there was bands like COC or uh Promags, they were getting more metal and, you know, but I like the hardcore aspect and also I listened to, you know, I would listen to like side by side and uh Stuff like that. I mean, Chromax, I guess, were hardcore, and then they became metal. But you know, so it's just I feel, I feel like we were just kind of going with the what was naturally happening. Well, that's you the know? thing. Like, I feel like a lot of those bands were going metal, you know, and that's what crossover always seemed to me. It's like, oh, punk bands going more metal, and with integrity, that's why yeah. it threw me off so much when you said Peace Corps because, like, it's that thing of being metal without ever being metal, and it's not like trying yeah. to go to metal it's like that's that's just there and that's why it threw me off when you said that band because i'm like oh that explains exactly what i hear in integrity <laughs> like so yeah, much maybe that like hearing that as my first snippet i was like oh anybody could do this i could do this too, you know? yeah, exactly because <laughs> it's like pretty i mean it's a very simple it's like zero zero three two two three two you know what i mean it's like yeah but i love i love that though I mean, and and you look at like negative approach or something like that. Those riffs are like so simple, and it's just as, and or, or someone like early Nasty Front, and it's just it's just really, I don't know. That's it, it. Pretty much anybody can do it, you know. If if you pick up a guitar 
you should be able to play a hardcore song within a, at least a couple of years, I would think, you know, but to, to do it tastefully and really get that feeling out is, you know, that's, that's why there's some great hardcore bands, you know, but also, but I would like to say one other thing though, because, uh, hardcore like people tend to like say okay this band's great this band's great but a, a lot of like there's so many comps with only like i only know one song by this band but this this song's amazing you know what i mean this band like they must be great i only know this song from them but there's so much like that's to me that's such a big part of hardcore too that it's kind of and they you know those bands don't get the notoriety as much maybe because they didn't put out a record but that shapes it so much that's a, such a big part of it i feel like well yeah. and then there are some bands where the comp kind of makes their like siege you know that's that those siege songs on that pusshead comp that just spurned yeah. on like you know all the bootlegs and generations of people trying to hear the demo tape and things like that because those songs are just so legendary on that comp that comp's killer too poison ideas on it execute like what a what a classic record that is but you're right like there are not every band but like most bands have one killer song in them and then fewer yeah. bands but still a lot have one great seven inch in them and then a smaller number have one great uh -huh. lp in them and then very few bands in hardcore have multiple lps in them yeah <laughs> well i think there's that first record burnout it happens to a lot of bands you know what i mean mm -hmm. and it's like the the first record is like they come out of the gate screaming and then a lot of and then a lot of people are like, well, what now? What are we going to do now? You know, or like, or, you know, some bands change. Like you were talking about Deke Freud's and they, they changed a lot from their first record. And, uh, and what a lot of hardcore bands do is they go more metal. So yeah, I don't like, know. integrity kind of doing the opposite though. We, we were metal and then we became hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask you like, so common causes first and then it becomes die hard. Uh, who's the, what's the original singer of Die Hard's uh, name again? A uh, Stork. Yeah, but actually, uh, yeah, Dwid was the original singer of Die Hard. Oh, then, Dwid was uh, before Stork. And then, yeah, but then, but then he was then there was some drama, and he was out, and then then we had Stork for a little while, and then Integrity started soon after that. So, so is Integrity's first lineup basically Die Hard without? like dwid comes back it kind of is, well i i played bass in die yeah. hard and common sense and uh and i really wanted to play guitar like i only played bass because they're like you you know i was like they're like yeah you could be in the band but if you play bass i was like okay i'm a guitar player but i'll i'll play bass so i could be in a band you know i was like 16 so I, you know even though i had been in many bands before that but they were just all <laughs> basement bands <laughs> and then so uh so you know i started bass and then uh and then the, we had that you know where uh was out of Die Hard for a little while and then then me and me and tom from confront were like we want to start like a heavy band we want to start something more heavy and more kind of like maybe less hardcore you know we we started writing songs together and then uh it was like hey uh we should do a band with me singing i was like yeah we should you know and then and then Die Hard went to the studio it went to mars which is where uh, all the integrity stuff that I was on was recorded and uh, and we recorded the Die Hard LP and there was a little like time left at the end of the tape I think and so we did the integrity demo on the end of that and and uh, basically it was it was just you know Tom played bass I played guitar and uh, Tony played drums and then we sang over that and, uh, and that became but then like 
Die Hard somehow got phased out. I don't know. It's hard to remember that far back exactly why, but maybe like Scott wasn't so into the the, the guitars from Die Hard, and and I wanted to go full bore with the band that I was playing guitar in because that was really my dream to play guitar in a band. Mm. So that's why integrity, I think, and also you know, Dwight obviously is a motor behind things. He makes things happen. So we kind of we kind of made it happen together, you know. Yeah, and I think integrity just seems like it had like a vibe right from the get-go like it it really does you know like the first seven inch obviously isn't as fully realized as some of the other stuff would be in like the demo but there it's already kind of going in that direction like it's not like it came out of nowhere on the next on the next recording no no i mean yes yeah, it was we were we would definitely want it we were trying to do something i think a little different you know and and even like people like I looked up to that like older friends of mine, uh, when they heard the demo in the seminars, they were like, "That's pretty good," you know, like, "All right, Melnick, you did all right." This, you know, I'd be like, I'd be like oh, "Yeah, I'm doing good," <laughs> you know. So that was that was cool. It's cool to have like people that you look up to, like what you, what you do, you know. So, um, and then we just kind of, I don't know, we. We practiced so much. We played so many. We just started playing shows right away. Our first show wasn't even in Cleveland. And Cleveland didn't really, I don't know, Cleveland didn't really accept us right away either. And it was, you know, Cleveland's a, kind of a strange town to break into. But but we had a nu- nucleus of, uh, you know, there was probably like 30 kids who, you know, would go see False Hope every time they played. And False Hope started getting, you know, bigger crowds towards the end of their existence. Yeah, there was kind of just a nucleus of people that we would – uh we would all go see Paul Self and confront with play. And then, and then uh, I think, you know, confront kind of confront changed during the course of what, what they were too. They kind of started off kind of, they had songs like Macho Man and Self-Destruction, which I don't know if those are available. To, yeah. To I think there's like a lost and found CD that has like a bunch of recordings on it, but I've never. Okay. That CD. Yeah. Okay. I forgot. I forgot that existed actually. So, so yeah. that might, that probably has that stuff. So yeah. But otherwise like the seven inch was more of their new material. And they kind of, you know how there's like schism records in New York. It was kind of like confront, kind of moved a little bit apart from Fossil. And Fall, then Fossil broke up soon after anyway. But, you know, because Fossil were partiers too and confront was straight edge. So, so it was good. And it was interesting how those things, you know, now it doesn't seem as big a deal. But at the time that really mattered, you know. So. Well, it's interesting to like look at that sort of spread of straight edge kind of post, I guess, youth crew stuff happening in New York and and just where it does take hold and there's there are like it changes the way kids dressed in hardcore it changes the way kids approach shows like it was really yeah. like a like you're saying a schism yeah <laughs> and then also i told you those guys came to town and uh played like after that nobody like before that in cleveland everyone was doing circle pits but after that nobody was doing circle pits everyone was like dancing hard you know what i mean <laughs> and that's when you start seeing more modern dance styles start to form I mean, not as maybe not as crazy. I saw uh, Mind Force in uh, in uh, Detroit a, few, a couple months ago or something at that Coldest Life show, and uh, they and the kids were going pretty crazy for Mind Force, especially I think like just the because it's more younger kids dancing for that band more than the, the and they're they're doing crazy stuff. Is it? You know, that's that's how that's how they do it now. Well, like you're saying, <laughs> but it's you a, can see the evolution of the of the the pit, you know, 100. percent Yeah, no, it's yeah. it's fascinating when you watch that uh, 
So the scene in America's Hardcore where, where Rollins is talking about that first Teen Idols tour where they went out to the West Coast and yeah. saw kids slamming. And yeah. they brought that back to the East Coast and then showed up in New York and beat up all the kids in New York, which, of course, makes New York harder. And then, like you're saying, New York has hard style dancing, which eventually kind of gets yeah. spread around. And now it's just evolved to, like you're saying, <laughs> like really, really hard dancing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even in like the 2000s, I remember I saw I I lived in New York for like five years, and I I kind of I at that time I wasn't really like going out that many hardcore shows, but uh, I went to see uh, Frank was in Terror, Frank, Frank from Hatebreed at the time he was in Terror, so uh, and he was playing, so I was like, oh, I'll go see Sick of It All in Terror, and uh, and then like for Sick of It All, like people like were going insane, and there was like a guy with a Boston jersey there, I remember, and like he was. He was kind of holding his own, I guess. But I mean, they were like, I'm not sure if they were targeting or that, but I couldn't even pay attention to that because people were going so like, if you just like looked away, even I was like in more of the back of the club and, you know, because I didn't know anybody. I wasn't going to go and fit at that show. <laughs> and, uh, and people were like, and you had to even watch like in the back of the club. So I like, I stood behind this cute girl. I was like, oh, she's not going to do anything. And then she was like throwing haymakers too. I was just like, okay, <laughs> this is New York. Yeah. <laughs> It's and it's funny because it's like tiny little rooms. Like I talked to Jimmy Gusta- Jimmy G recently from Murphy's Law, and yeah. uh, you know I was saying how I was researching and read that Cavity Creeps, his first band, had a song called Pain, and during Pain, everyone would line up on one side of the room and form a wall and just hurt the other side of the room as much as possible. And it's like the A7 with twenty people there. And now you're thinking, yeah, they do that at festivals with thousands of people now. Yeah. Man, I'm too old for that. Oh man, yeah. I think <laughs> I'll get a broken hip or something. <laughs> yeah, but there's it, there's also like the legendary stories of people moshing with hammers in Connecticut. Uh, yeah, a lot of the legends that you hear about stuff in these mosh pits that they were always pretty scary and violent. Yeah, I think yeah. I mean, even in the old days, like I remember the first time I saw a pit, it was pretty. It was still pretty violent. I mean, it was like eighty four probably and uh and it was it was pretty crazy you know <laughs> but i still at that age though i was like this is pretty cool you know <laughs> i i definitely was more into it back then i have to say <laughs> oh yeah no as you get older you realize it's a young person's game like you're saying there's yeah. there's sort of this natural handing off that kind of has to happen and in, in yeah. punk where the next generation is going to do things slightly differently but that's why it will continue on yeah it's awesome that it continues on actually. Yeah. You know, it's pretty cool that, that, you know, something we're a part of and we, we picked up the torch and ran with it a little bit. And then, and now there's, there's young people in there and you can hear the stuff that we did in there, but it's not the same. It's how they interpret it. And that's, that's pretty, that's pretty cool actually. Yeah. There's something really beautiful about that. Like you're saying, it's not, it's never yours. It's just like you become like a steward for it for a couple of years. Yeah. And like something that makes it like eternal in that way, because your thing will carry on, like you're saying, and people's interpretations of what you do and, and, and just understanding. Like, it's funny, Dom from, uh, you know, uh, pulling teeth and everything was on the podcast recently. And he's from Toronto originally. So yeah. first time I met him was in a pit before sick of it all played. And uh-huh. we were talking about integrity because at that time it was like a cult to be an in integrity. Yeah. Like there was not everyone 
liked integrity. There was a backlash kind of to integrity. It felt like in a way, and we bonded over the fact that we both had this incredible love for this band. And so now we here we are and it's become part of a hardcore lore and hardcore history integrity. But at the time it was like, it was a cult. It was like a small little thing. It felt like. Yeah. Yeah. I, there was definitely some different reactions we got back in the day. And I mean, I think that's true. A lot of anything more maybe abrasive or, uh, or just kind of maybe out of left field is at first, Sometimes like people are like, oh, I don't know about this. But even, I mean, that might've been after, I don't know what time period that was, but there's probably, you know, there was a time where maybe there, you said there was a backlash, so. Yeah, I felt like there was a time where integrity, it just like a, a backlash to the band or, or there was sort of like a, like you're saying, I think it was a, a sonic rejection. People weren't necessarily yes. ready for the music. There was uh -huh. also because the band was so in your face about, a lot of things like live yeah. and, and, you know, reputation wise and everything like that. It felt like there was just, and it all like, you realize as you get older, once again, how much of these things are cycles, but as integrity, when integrity first kind of popped off internationally and everyone started hearing these records, I think there was like so much hype around the band and then sort of the natural backlash that comes after that hype. And then, only for people to realize and do the reassessment and come back to it and be like, no, this was fucking awesome. We were right the first time. I appreciate that. Yeah. Cause sometimes you do listen to something and you're like, you're like, why did I like that? You know, <laughs> usually I like the same things. Like I could put on like 20 years later and be like, Oh, I see why I like that. And sometimes, but sometimes there have, I'm not going to point anything out, but sometimes there's been things where I've listened to it again. I'd be like, Oh, that doesn't really hold up as well as I remember. I remember it being different. You know but I appreciate that, that you say that, though. Well, and like you're saying, it's interesting when you do go back to stuff and it does still resonate and you realize, like, oh, there is, there is, and it's the stuff that is timeless, the stuff that sounds like it could come out today and still yeah. sound real and raw. Yeah, I agree. Electric Eels. Maybe we, yeah, Rock from the that's Tunes. true. Yeah. That's raw as hell. Yeah, yeah. both of those bands. I mean, there is so much raw music, and that's what I think almost maybe they should like rename punk like it's like it's raw it's raw music you know but i mean there's other kinds of raw music but, but punk is like the that's the rawest music there is i almost feel like at least you know what's up there at least you know it makes you like well, i guess there's something timeless about authenticity and like a way of like people being like authentic with who they are and being true to their vision and not trying to make anything other than because they want to make it. And that's, that's something that will always ring true. Like that's something that, you know, rings true in all these bands we've talked about. Yeah, I agree, man. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of with, with my project that I, you know, I, I, those songs are like from my heart, you know, I, I, and, and not only are they from my heart, but they're like something physical, physically about playing songs that you wrote that you you really like playing. It's like a physical expression. Music is not not just like an acoustic expression. It's like a physical expression too, especially in the kind of music we play. I feel like, and uh, and that's like something you know, that's something that is it's so interesting. And I feel like that goes like that transcends like just you know punk or metal or or any sort of rock or R and B. That's like all music. You know, you can hear like tribal music and like and uh, you know, speaking of a canon. Some of some of the tribal songs you hear have been passed down for you know maybe thousands of years or at least hundreds of years. 
or maybe or flamenco music or any sort of like folk type music because what we're playing is a is kind of a folk type music you know it's it's a people's music and uh and if, if you can be part of that lineage or that canon that we were talking about that's pretty amazing well i think popular music is almost about like stripping away that folk side of the music like getting it away from that and making it as universal as possible as opposed to something that's authentic to people's experiences possible which is what i guess like all this traditional folk music is and i think at its best punk music is trying to do that like there's no other reason for some of these bands to make the music they made other than that they just yeah you know, i interviewed years ago mark mothersbaugh from devo um, That's awesome. and, and I was like, well, well, yeah, and it was just like, what were the influences on Diva? Like, what inspired you? Because you've inspired everything after that, but you don't, there's nothing that sounds like you before you. And he's yeah. like, he's like, there's one Roxy Music synth part that Eno did that I just loved. And then the Kent State Massacre and realizing that humanity had oh. hit a point where we weren't evolving anymore. And now it was the de-evolution of humanity. And wow. he's like, so combining those two things was what Devo was. And it's like, well, that's folk music. Like that's him singing to his experience as a Kent state student, seeing this shit happening and, and just trying to find a way to express it and do, using this one thing that he heard as being the, the medium to do so. Wow. That's, that's pretty deep. I didn't know that. That's crazy. That's, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what music is as well. Trying to make sense of, this crazy world that we live in that and you know when you're a kid you you come up and you think it's one way and then life starts throwing curveballs at you and you you know it it can be hard and i think that our our music is a way of kind of responding to that and you know growing from that and using that energy and like and kind of redirecting it and and throwing it back at throwing it back out there and being like, okay, well, you know, so people might say it's, you know, violent or, or it's sounds like crap or whatever they say about it, you know, but it's, but it's, you're taking, it's kind of like a reflection of society in a lot of ways. It's not kind of like a reflection. It is a reflection of, it's a reflection of society. It's a reflection of the person writing it. It's a reflection of so many things of humanity. And it's, uh, and you know, it's, it's, you know, talking about something like the Kent State Massacre, you know, that's, things like that are still going on today, you know, all over the world, there's bad things happening. And it's, it's, you know, it's pretty sad. Well, I never learned about the Armenian genocide in school. I learned about it through integrity. And yeah, there's um, like a, a continuum, not, there's a, sort of similarity to the Devo Kent state massacre being the impetus of Devo and, and what you're singing about or what you guys were doing songs about or writing songs about, or just giving voice to these things that didn't necessarily have voice and finding a way to do it. And there's not a lot of mediums of music that offer that in the way that punk no. does. No, that's true. I mean, there's some hip hop, sometimes hip hop yeah. people will, will go that way. A lot of times the record companies probably won't let them. And that's kind of goes back to what you were saying, like pop music, you know, is, we're a response to pop pop music. I almost, I don't, 
almost don't like calling it pop music. I almost call it like corporate music. You know, it's like corporate music because it's like what the record company, like the big record companies and the corporate record companies, that's what they want. They want everything in their control and they want to push a certain thing, a certain agenda. They don't want like, uh, it's that, you know that song, This Is America? Have you heard that song? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, they don't want like a song like that out there. Although that's amazing that he could put that song out there. So, you know, that's... Comment, an amazing comment on, on, on what is happening. You know? And it's not all bad. Not the whole world's not bad, but there is a lot of bad things happening. Well, I think it speaks to that power of the power of this era, where record companies are definitely still involved, but yeah. you don't necessarily need that record company anymore. No. And it's also interesting. We keep talking about raw music, and there's a power to these raw records, and I just think they sound so awesome how real and and raw and and just authentic that kind of music sounds but that's not what pop music want or corporate music wants it wants something shiny and polished and yeah you never want to sound raw you never want to sound oh my gosh this sounds so yeah. unfinished and and it's just that another way to strip away that authenticity to it yeah it's almost like a, they, the way they compress the music is so crazy. Like the frequencies are like separate from each other. And it's just, it just sounds like a different thing. It's, it sounds kind of like a machine actually in a lot of ways, which sometimes it's cool to sound like a machine, but I prefer my machines more clunky and, and, uh, and, <laughs> yeah, and messy. Up machine. Yeah. That's the kind of machine I want. I don't know why. But... <laughs> yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to work it when I want a kind of broken machine that's, that's yeah. like just <laughs> held together by duct tape and dreams. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna think. I think that the, the bass player for Knife Dance, he used to just play with three strings on his bass. He's like, I don't need that top one. You know, <laughs> he had a he had a, his machine was a little broken. So. Uh, they're another band that I think only exists in Cleveland in a lot of ways, but they are so important when you talk to anyone from Cleveland yeah. to to the scene there. Yeah, I mean that that is one of that I I saw a Saint Val I think it was called the Saint Valentine's Massacre. It was like a February 14th show one year. I think I was 14 or 13. I think I was 14. And uh, I went to that show and they played and, and Tom Dark was like flipping and landing on his back and <laughs> singing I'm on fire over and over again. And I was just like, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> I guess the Dark and the Guns are that way too, where they're bands that didn't really, Obviously, recordings are now available, but they didn't really get out in any sort of real way back then. But yeah. anyone that saw them or certainly has heard the recordings knows that they were unreal. My sister actually uh, dated Dave Arocco, who's the drummer for the Guns. He he played he later played drums in Integrity. He passed away pretty young uh, from an aneurysm. But uh, he he used to come. So I I had that acoustic guitar I was telling you about, and like you know I was playing. I I knew about the Stooges and Peace Corps and stuff like that, but like. He came over, he used to like sneak down in the basement, you know, and, and my sister was like, Hey, come back up here, Dave, you know, but like, but he would be like, Hey, Aaron, let me show you this. This is called a, this is called a bar chord. And I was like, Whoa, oh my, it like opened my whole world. I was like, Oh my God. Now I understand what all these guys are playing. I didn't understand. And then one time he, he brought me, uh, he gave me, or lent me the uh, Hello Waits by Slayer. That's the first time I ever heard Slayer, I think. And that's like, that just like blew my mind. And I was just like, Wow, this is the, craziest thing i've ever heard this is like i mean i had a new favorite band almost instantly you know? that's so, awesome that is then, uh yeah rest yeah. in peace yeah man, definitely um 
but it, it certainly is like uh, once again that can kind of continuation. The fact that these guys were directly kind of around or involved in, yeah, you know, the next wave of stuff. So he he's someone who made the leap as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that that um, I love all that early uh, all that early guns and and dark stuff that came out on that CD years ago, Grand Theft Auto audio, I think, to years ago. But yeah, um, but oh, it was fantastic. The, yeah, that guns the gun stuff is. I, I mean, I love the dark as well, but the guns is like that was like that's another band that you know I heard that stuff and I was like, they have a song called "I'm Not Right." I think. They kind of maybe influenced by I got it right by the studios, but the riff is I mean the riff is sick, you know. What so I mean? it's like, sick, yeah. <laughs> it just has so much energy in behind it, you know. It's just like wow, like how do you have so much energy in just that simple riff? It's just, I think it's just a two riff song as well. I believe so. There's know? um yeah, because there's that Cleveland Confidential. Is it the Cleveland Confidential comp they're on? No, there are they're on. That's those songs. I'm trying to think. Is that? That might be, is that New Hope Cop, maybe? The New Hope Cop, yeah, sorry, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm Not Right, and um, is Locked, on, Locked Inside on that, too? Yeah, I think? I think that's the other one on there. Yeah, but there's, a, yeah, there's like a lot of great compilations for Cleveland, like you're saying, where these one band or, or bands have one or two songs that came out just on these comps, and that's it, but they're all, like, raging. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, there's a lot of good songs on that, actually. Um. This has been awesome. And anytime you want to come back on here, Aaron, please know you're always welcome. Because as I said, your new record's fantastic. Everything you do is awesome. And and every time you put out something new, I can't wait to hear it. I appreciate that a lot. Uh, I I just want to say one more thing. Um, I also, so with the record, I also have been writing a science fiction book. And that's going to be very related to the record. And that's going to come out in a couple weeks. I'm self-publishing that one, so there was a snafu at the uh, the old publisher. So, but it's it's also called "Bringing Out the Beast," just like the Nuclear record is called, and it has similar themes to the record. So, thanks so much for doing this, man. Hey, man, great talking to you. It was awesome. Thank you, Aaron, for coming on the show. And you're right there. Aaron will be back for a part two at some point in the future because there is a lot more to get to. I warned you in advance this thing wasn't long enough. In the meantime, check out the phenomenal Bringing Out the Beast album from the fantastic New Clay, which is available now on Rebirth Records. It's great to hear the Melnicks playing this kind of music again together. It is, oh, this thing's a monster. And also keep your eyes open for that book Aaron mentioned. That has not dropped yet, but it will be available soon. And that is probably going to be on that new clay band camp or also on a rebirth records webpage. I know you wish that episode was way longer cam, right? No, no. no. Okay. Well, coming up on the next episode of turned out a punk, a good buddy, a good pal, my man, Jason green is coming back to the show for kind of his first part two, but he did a, part two with Walter, but this is, this is the real part two. Jason, of course, is the lead singer of Panthers, and, or was the lead singer of Panthers, and was the lead singer of Orchid, and now is the lead singer of Orchid again, because Orchid has announced a string of reunion shows. We talk about that. We talk about all sorts of stuff, including Jason's brand new solo record, 12-inch 
released on the venerable DFA Records out of New York City, Jason Green and the Jerk. And this thing is awesome. This 12-inch is fantastic. You can find that on Bandcamps and everywhere now, streaming services and everything now. Uh, this is a fun episode, and I can't wait for you to hear it. All right, well, that's it for this episode. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives and issues faced by indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights. and Stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths, different races, different sexualities, different nationalities. Because we're not talking about politics. This is just basic human rights stuff. People deserve to be able to live free from hate and violence and discrimination. And so if there's organizations in your community that are affecting positive change, get involved. Donate your time. Donate your, your, your money if you have extra money. Just get involved. Thank you, Cam. I love you so much. <laughs> Speaking of getting involved, get involved in your local punk scene. Start a band. Start a fanzine. Start, well, podcasts are, are not cool, but you could start a podcast. You could start doing flyers. You could start putting on shows. You could start helping out at shows. There's tons of ways to get involved. And this scene gets better for everyone, including yourself, once you get involved in it. So go out there and get involved. Speaking of going out there and doing something, sign your organ donor cards. Because by the time they come looking for those organs, you're dead. You don't need those organs anymore. Well, they don't come when you're alive, Cam, and take the organs. They wait till you, you're, you're passed away. But we have seen miracles happen when people had organs transplant, right? We have people in our family that had organ transplants and are much, much healthier now and able to live now, right? Cam's nodding. It doesn't really pick up on the podcast as much. But uh, what else do I do? Oh, try meditating. I try and get the kids to meditate with me, but they really don't like meditating with me. Why don't you guys like meditating with me, you think? Okay. I'm, uh, they're, o- they're over this right now, so I'll just speed this up. So try meditating. That's it. Uh, stay safe, and I will see you on the next episode. Anything to add, Cam? No. No? Do you want to tell people to go listen to Nirvana or anything? No. I love you. That <laughs> <laughs> over laughing. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc